Hello and welcome. You've tuned in to the School of Ministry podcast. Paul is your Bible teacher today. If you have questions you would like addressed, let us know. Maybe you have a need in your life and want to know how the Bible gives answers that apply to us today. Feel free to contact us. Now enjoy the lesson. James 2, beginning in verse 14. What is it profit, my brother, and if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what is it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? I'm going to stop right there. But let me ask you, because we're going to be talking about our convictions thinking about, and as we get to the end of this, we're going to kind of bring about, what convictions do you have? Many years ago, there was a landmark case in the United States Supreme Court called Yoder versus the Board of Education. And the Pennsylvania Board of Education was trying to force Mr. Yoder into uh, sending his children to school. He was Amish wanted to homeschool his children. This was long, long before homeschooling was popular by any means. And refusing to send his children, they said, we're going to arrest you. And he said, if that's okay, you can arrest me. And finally, the case goes to the U.S. Supreme Court, and they say, we will arrest you and put you in jail if you do not concede and let your children go to school. And he said, I'm going to hide my children. I am not going to let you take them. And it is my responsibility under God to train my children. That was the case that determined preference from conviction. They said Mr. Yoder had such a conviction that he was willing, and he even stated, I would give my life before I let you take my children. You can throw me in prison. You can do whatever you want. So sometimes we have convictions and we have preferences. Our world today, it appears, has a lot of preferences, but sometimes few convictions. So as we're going through this, and we're going to talk about that, we're going to see, and, and I hope that it's a time for us to evaluate, what are our convictions and what are our preferences? What is it that we would literally give our life for, that we would go to jail for, we'd be imprisoned? What is it that we would stand and say, this is right? Well, James here is giving us some examples of the kind of faith that equals nothing. He calls it dead faith. He called it dead faith in verse 17. Thus faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. He says it again in verse 20. Do you want to know, O foolish man, what is uh, that faith without works is dead? And then again at the end of the chapter in verse 26. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So there was a kind of, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, there is a kind of faith that's not a saving faith. 
and it doesn't produce anything. There's no production, and it's just meaningless. And so you can see, even in the notes, we talked about the empty confession. We spent some time on that. Oh, how many people had just an empty confession that they said, yes, we believe, but their life didn't show it. And the Jewish thought, remember, had always been that they had to earn their way to heaven. They had to work their way to heaven. And now Christ was saying, wait a minute, salvation is free. You cannot earn it. You cannot deserve it. You can't work for it. And so now these people that have been under the law and trying to do all of these so many, many different things, trying to reach into heaven, James is saying, wait a minute. Now you've gone too far the other way. Now you've gone too far where you're saying we don't do anything now. And so that's really what brings us to this text. That's really what brings us to this point in verse 15. Well, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? Well, we know that salvation is by faith through grace alone, not of works. That's not the question. But people with dead faith substitute words for deeds. And that's the point of the passage. This is the kind of faith in God that does not save. This is the kind of faith in Jesus Christ that does not save. But James is giving this whole series of tests. So we look at ourselves, we evaluate to see, is our faith vibrant? Is it alive? Is it based on conviction? So in this wonderful passage, how we live our lives proves who we are. How we live proves who we are. It's the very composite of this, and it kind of pulls all of the many, many different epistles together, and what Christ has said, it brings, really brings it back. And remember, James has already brought up the, this issue when he said, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man beholding his face, the, the face of his birth, that natural face, as it were, in a mirror. He looks, he goes his way. He forgets the manner of man that he was. So in other words, he sees the problem but does nothing about it. He goes away, he forgets. But whoever looks into the perfect law of liberty, that is the very word of God, and he continues there, he is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This man shall be blessed in his deed. And so, in other words, God is saying, we are doers because of the new birth. Continuing to look into the word, putting it into practice in our life, living by conviction. So James brings up that same issue now here in chapter 2. And no one is saved by works. That's not what James is saying. We looked at that last week. He describes dead faith as an empty confession. But now he talks about it in verse 15 as a false compassion. It's easy without faith to have false compassion. Look at verse 15. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what is it profit? This is a brother or sister. So it indicates not just somebody living on the street, but this is someone in the congregation. This is someone in the church. This is a brother or sister, another Christian. And it indicates that 
really kind of, he's writing to a people, remember they were Jews, but they, they had accepted Christ, they had come into the, uh, into the New Testament church, they're identified with the Lord's churches, at some location, we don't know exactly where, but this is an illustration, very much like what John brings up later on in 1 John chapter 3, where John brings up somewhat the same, that there's an indicator of your heart, and James and John are really close in, those, in many of those passages. So it's an important question. This man or woman, they're cold and hungry. And one of the persons in that particular congregation, they come to visit you. They're in the church. You see their condition. And you just say, go in peace. Now, saying go in peace, remember, is a common Jewish expression. Remember when the woman came and touched the hem of Jesus' garment? When she reached out and Jesus turned around and said, Who's touched me? Peter says, Look at all the throng and you're saying, Who touched me? Now that's her translation. That's not literal translation. And Jesus tells her, Go in peace. Thy faith has made thee whole. Your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. It was a common Jewish expression. You do well. Jesus did not speak empty words, but here, this person just is giving empty words. Go in peace. Depart in peace. I hope that you're warm. Now, what he says, and you say to them, go, be warmed, be filled. It's really not a very generous saying because the verb be warmed and filled and both of those verbs can either be in the middle or kind of a passive voice. And what does that mean? It's a little hard to translate. It's hard to translate because it might be very sarcastic and almost caustic, if you understand what I'm saying. Almost a, a, an acid tongue and saying, feed yourself. Go, get away from me. Don't bug me. I don't want to hear your problems. Now, that could be one of the things that James is saying. Or it might be in the passive voice, which is a little less harsh. And he's saying, in that case, well, I hope you find somebody that can help you. Because I'm not doing it. <laughs> I hope you can find somebody that's going to take care of your needs. You see, it, now, it says that if they're... Uh, cold and naked, the idea was not that they were stark naked, but they did not have what they needed for the cold weather. They were poorly dressed, poorly attired. That's what he means when he, that term naked there. They didn't have all of the warm clothing that maybe, so they were cold and they did not have the daily food that it was necessary. So now this person is saying, I see your need. I hope somebody can help you out. Just go your way. Either way, whether he's saying it very caustically, just feed yourself, buddy, don't bother me. I, I sure hope you can find somebody else that will help you, or you're saying, oh, I'll, I'll pray for you, but there's nothing I can do. He says at the end, notwithstanding, you give them not the things that are needful for the body. What, what profit was that? In other words, what good is that kind of faith? Do you mean to tell me that, that you're a new creature? 
in Christ and you don't have compassion? Do you mean to tell me that your life with God and your, in your life and your soul, the life of a compassionate God, a loving God does not transfer in this day and age? You can't concern yourself with someone else that's in need. That's what James is saying. In verse 17, he says, even thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. It's dead because it's alone. A faith with no fruit, a faith with no product is a dead faith. A faith that doesn't live itself out in this world in this day is a false empty confession of false compassion. So there was a story, a true story, I won't name the queen. One of the queens of Europe had gone to the theater and it was a very sad drama. The queen cried throughout the entire production. But when all of the carriages, is the time you remember, carriages have to, had to line up and, and wait, and the queen's carriage was there waiting. And as she went out to her carriage, the coachman had frozen to death, yet she shed not a tear. He didn't belong to her class. Here he was frozen to death, and she's put out because now she's got to find another coachman. What moved her in a drama, the biographer said she shed not a tear. It's easy to pick on somebody of years ago, but how many times can people be moved by drama, by television, by a movie? You hear a song and you weep and you cry, and you're moved by something that's really indifferent. And it's easy to get moved by those kinds of things. And I think in a world like ours, there's so much fantasy. Even children playing these games, they spend so much emotion on the fantasy. There's nothing left for reality. Faith, if it's empty, is dead. We've seen lots of disasters on the television, seen all kinds of atrocities. Then sometimes it empties our emotions and real life doesn't, do, just doesn't seem so bad, does it? Unless the drama is really played out to the hilt in your own life, then you feel it. Because no human tragedy is just seem like what they have in fantasy. Well, James says, if you have that kind of false compassion, that at best says, I hope you find some food and some clothing, my dear friend, go in peace. I wish you well, but you don't give them what they need. You don't help them. What good is that kind of faith? What good is that? That faith that has no works alone, it proves itself to be dead. In, in Matthew chapter 25, verse 31, the Lord goes on and he speaks very, very clearly about this. He's going on and it says, And when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit on the throne of his glory. And the Lord will come in this time of judgment, gathering all the nations, separating, separating them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. Of course, this is now speaking of the kingdom of God. Some are going to be turned this way and some that way. And it says, sheep, you go to the right hand, goats, you go to the left. And the king says to those on the right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Why? Because you believed? He doesn't say that. 
He says, and here's the reason, you're coming into the kingdom. He says, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. Were they saved by their actions? Were they saved by their deeds? No, they were saved by faith in Jesus Christ. That's very, very clear. And the righteous go on saying, now wait a minute. Lord, when did we ever do that? When did we see you hungry? When did we feed you? When did we give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king shall answer them and said, Truly I say unto you, inasmuch as you have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. So here it is. The people who enter the kingdom aren't the one who simply said they believe. They live their belief. They live their convictions. They live their life of faith so that it touches people, so that people see the love of God in your life, so that people see there is something different about them. They are the ones whose faith is manifested in true compassion. That's being worked out day by day. But on the other hand, the ones who are told, it's found in verse 41 of Matthew 25, to depart because they're cursed, enter into eternal or everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. These are the ones that fail to demonstrate any kind of compassion. They go into everlasting punishment while the righteous go into everlasting life. The point is judgment is on the basis of their works, not our works to earn salvation, but works that have shown our faith that is truly a saving faith. And James says dead faith is marked by empty compassion, empty confession, false compassion, and thirdly, by a shallow conviction. Verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Shallow conviction. This is a really a difficult passage here, and I'll tell you why. And actually, I've tried on the notes, and it's hard to see, but I'll tell you where I got this. If you go online and you go to the Cambridge University and you type in Greek manuscripts, you can get all the ancient Greek manuscripts. But I've given a little manuscript there, and I tried to blow it up. It's hard to see. Why would I do that? You know, by the way, they have a Greek manuscript, a little thing that's dated back to 120. So that's just not even 100 years after the time of Christ. So we have very, very ancient manuscripts. But in the Greek writing, it was interesting because they would write and there's no punctuation. I can't remember what the story was of the man that he just wrote and just kept on writing. And then at the end of the letter, put all kinds of periods, commas, you know, question marks, exclamation points. He says, I don't know where these belong, but you just put them wherever you need them. <laughs> so that's kind of what we find here. In the Greek writing, it was all usually uppercase, and it all ran together. And so sometimes it's a little bit hard to see where things are divided. So that's a little difficult whether or not here in James 18, the person is referring to, to themselves or to someone else, to an antagonist. But someone will say, so it's third person, 
You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Now I think James is using this himself. I think James is really talking about himself here. I have faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, my life is different, and I'll show you my life is different by my life, by what's happening here. And so that's the way that James is really explaining. Yes, a man may say you have faith. James is probably referring to himself, but he's humble. He speaks in the third person. He's not going to say, oh, look at me. But he's saying, shall we lay things out? Shall we look at this? You say you don't do anything whatsoever, and you have faith, but you don't do anything. Your faith isn't alive. It's not touching the lives of people. And here, my, my life is touching people's lives. So probably James possesses that true faith. I know James possesses that, whether that's James that's writing this. We have to just examine. And so whether he's claiming to have faith without works, he says, uh, you have have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. So the man who possesses true faith, like James, is sort of putting himself in this position saying, all right, antagonist there, I want you to argue this case. You have faith. We'll say this hypothetically. All right, let's say you have faith and I'll say that I have works. Here's the acid test. Show me your faith without works. Go ahead. Let me see it. <laughs> Let me see that you don't do anything. Well, it can't. It's impossible. It can't be done. The word show here means to exhibit. It means to demonstrate. Put it out on display. Go ahead. Show me. Demonstrate how you can have faith without works. And you might say, well, I believe. <laughs> I, I, I believe. But now... We talked about that last week, the show me state. Now show me. Well, you can. It's impossible to demonstrate saving faith without a product. It's impossible to show that your life has been changed without seeing a changed life. It's got to have fruit. Paul talks about that. Jesus spoke of that. James says, show it to me. There's no righteous deeds, there's no fruit of righteousness, then there's no way to demonstrate the reality of faith. So that's the challenge. By the way, that's a challenge that nobody can answer that challenge without their faith being alive. So when someone says, well, I'm a Christian, when did that happen? Well, 24 years ago, I accepted Christ, or 40 years ago, 50 years ago, whatever it might be, I accepted Christ. Show me. Show me. What has your life produced? What is your life doing? Show me your salvation. You might say, what? <laughs> what? How do I do that? Tell me about your life. What is that pattern of behavior? Let me see what's really gone on there. James is really giving the ideas that antagonists might argue, oh, I believe in God. I believe in one God. I'm a monotheist. Well, that's really what he gets into in verse 19. You believe there is one God. Now, remember what the Jews called the Shema. It's found in Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord. Is one God. The Lord our God is one Lord. You believe that basic theological doctrine of Scripture. 
You believe in the unity of God. And the Jews always prided themselves in their orthodoxy. They prided themselves that they believed in the one true God. And they say, well, I believe that. You intellectually believe that. Tell me something. He says, you do well. And really, that's kind of sarcastic. Oh, you really believe that. Let me tell you something. The demons, isn't that what it says? You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. The word is to shudder with awe. You're not up even in the category of the demons. If you just say, well, I believe. <laughs> you haven't even reached that level. There are so many people that give mental assent to God. What am I saying? They, they mentally, they believe, yes, there's a God. They give facts. Yes, I believe in the resurrection. Yes, I, I think that those things are true. But you want to know something? There's no liberal demon. Demons are orthodox in everything. There is no demon that does not believe in the premillennial coming of Christ. There is no demon that doesn't believe that Christ is coming any time. And I'll, I'll give you some example. Their demons believe in the one true God because they've seen him. They believe in creation that God created in six days. They believe that. Everything about demons is orthodox. They believe in Jesus Christ. They believe in the cross and the crucifixion. They believe in the resurrection. You see, all of that, they've seen it. And it says that they shudder with awe. Literally, it means their, hand, their hair stands on end. Now, I don't know that demons have hair. <laughs> I don't know exactly. But that's the idea of it, that they're so frightened that their hair stands on end. Why? Because it's an emotional faith. Demons say, I believe that. Their hair stands on end. Demons go one better than man because they have an emotional faith. They go farther than religious phonies. Why? Because they shake in fear, grave fear, because they know what is coming. They know the eternal damnation and hell that's coming. That's why they fear. Remember when Jesus cast out the legion out of that man and sent them into the pigs, and they said, why have you come to torment us? It's not yet time. It's not yet our time. You see, they know what is going to happen. They know where they're going. And people in our world today have no fear of God. What convictions do we have? Where do we stand? Do we have a conviction better than the demons? Do we have standards better than the demons? That's what James is telling us here. Oh, yeah, you can say, I believe in God. I believe there's one God. I have this mental ascending. I, I believe all of that. But the demons are moved by emotion because they know where they're headed. Do you know where you're headed today? Do you know where it is? Demons are orthodox, and we can be orthodox in all of our beliefs. That demon said, what are you doing? You're sending us to torment before our times. Intellectual faith is a dead faith. Demons have more faith. They have an emotional faith. Dead faith is inferior even to demon faith is what James is saying. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the message. We trust you have been encouraged, challenged, or generally built up spiritually. 
If this lesson has sparked questions or perhaps you have questions of a different topic, let us know. Our information is given on the website or you can reach us at sclofministry at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.